0: Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland. We're in this Fireside Folklore episode. We are setting sail in search of the wonderful Selkie. I'm Jenny, an Out of Order Lighthouse.
1: And I'm Annie, an impressive, modern, centrally controlled automatic light bulb. Oh,
0: how fortuitous that we should come together.
1: <laughs> it's a bit awkward, really, because I feel like I might be superseding you, Jenny.
0: I think any light is better than no light when it comes to the coastline. (laughs)
1: True, true. (laughs) Something tells me that we won't need to use our light to search too hard because the beaches and coves of Scotland are saturated with rich selkie lore. The selkie is one of the most well-known of Scottish mythological creatures. For generations, tales were told of these shape-shifting beings. It's really one of the favourite stories to be told around the smouldering fire of the Cayley House. Selkies are said to live
0: in the sea as seals, but they are not confined to the water, for Selkies are able to remove their soft seal skin and walk upon the land in human form. The Selkies' skin is incredibly powerful, and if taken from the Selkie whilst they're on land, they cannot return to the ocean.
1: I'm feeling really in a selkie mood today because last night I was swimming in the Murray Firth and a curious wee seal came over to say hello. She was looking at me with her big dark eyes and I said, oh hello lovely seal. But I felt we came to a real understanding. I saw her, she saw me, it was beautiful. How lovely. Many selkie stories revolve around quite a strange power dynamic that happens when a human, usually a fisherman, steals a selkie skin. The lore goes that the selkie skin is what allows the Selkie to transform from a human into a seal. So they strip off their selkie skin and they've got their human inside, but then they put on the skin like a cloak almost to become a seal.
0: I always saw them wiggling into it like a sleeping bag, you know, that's zipped up, and you gotta like get your feet down to the bottom and get the hood over your head, and pull the tie really tight around your face until there's just a little <laughs> hole.
1: However, your selkie may choose to dress in their sealskin. The stories tell us that they cannot return to the sea without their sealskins. So, in the majority of stories, we have a fisherman stealing the skin and essentially trapping a Selkie to live on land with him. In a lot of these tales, they fall in love and start a family. And the Selkie just seems to forget that once upon a time she was a seal. However, inevitably, years later, one of her children will find her seal skin and return it to their mother who turns out she hasn't forgotten that she knows her true home and her true self. So she wiggles back into her sealskin, jumps into the sea, and leaves her family to be her wild self again.
0: There are hundreds of tales like this scattered all around the shores of Scotland. But in this episode, we are each going to tell a lesser-known traditional Selkie tale that doesn't follow this somewhat problematic story structure. But before we start, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. Annie, of all the lovely listeners listening right now, how many do you think like learning about the language, heritage, archaeology, literature, landscape, identity, folklore and magic of Scotland's Highlands and Islands?
1: Every single one.
0: Well, do I have a course for all of you lovely listeners because the University of the Highlands and Islands Culture and Heritage BA Honours course is an interdisciplinary degree that explores all of these topics and more.
1: This degree is an incredible opportunity to gain a deep understanding of the rich heritage that has built this region. It's offered as an online course and internationally accredited. So, no matter where you are in the world, near or far, land or sea, This course is a path to understanding the beating heart of the Highlands. You can study full-time or part-time, and as single or joint honours.
0: Follow the link in the episode description to learn more.
1: Wonderful, Jenny. Let's get going. I can't wait to hear your Selkie story. All right. Well, my
0: story starts in a wee fishing village located on the shore of a sea loch on the Isle of Tyree, where a family of a mother, father and daughter were all living in happy harmony. The daughter's name was Mary, and she was a wonderful girl. She was smart and kind and compassionate, and her parents were very proud of her. And while she loved her mother dearly, Mary and her father were particularly close. She'd help him with the fishing nets in the morning before going to school, and then they'd process his catch together in the evenings after school. But outside of the house, Mary was a very shy girl. She didn't have any friends or partake in any of the social side of the tight-knit village at all. In fact, each day she'd come straight home from school, milk the cow, help out her mother whoever she needed, and then, with a book tucked under her arm, she would ask her father if she may borrow his boat. And every day, her father said, ''Of course, of course, you don't need to ask, and mind your home in time for tea.'' And so, off Mary would go in the wee fishing boat. And every evening, rain or shine, she'd row about half a mile to a small, uninhabited island just across the waters of the sea loch. There she'd stay until it was supper time, where she'd then row back, kiss her mother and father on the cheek, have supper and head to bed. Now one day, Maggie, Mary's mother, was down at the wee post office in the village collecting some messages. And while her back was turned, she overheard some of the local women having a wee gossip. And while this isn't in the least bit unusual, as Maggie listened to their hushed voices, she was horrified to hear them talking about her own daughter, Mary. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. These wee old women were saying, Aye, she used to seem all nice, but now it's been many years like this, and I think she's just plain rude. I can as she never comes to her ceilies or events. She's never even been on a wee date with anyone, never even gone for so much as a walk along the shore with a laddie. At hearing this, Maggie's stomach dropped, and she hurried home to her husband. Willie, Willie, you won't believe what the gossips at the post office are saying about our Mary. And she told him what she'd heard and how she worried for their girl. However, the more Willie tried to calm her, the more and more Maggie got worked up. All she's ever doing is going out on that boat to the island. It's not normal for a girl of her age. What does she do out there all evening, every evening? It's not right. I I, I think we should stop her. As Willie was trying to calm his wife, Mary came skipping in from school. She quickly headed out to milk the cow and came back in and asked if her mother needed any work done around the house. Maggie said no, everything was fine. And so Mary asked her father if she may take his boat out to the island. And smiling at his rosy-cheeked daughter, he said, Ah, of course, of course, you don't need to ask. And mind, you're home in time for tea. With her book under her arm, off Mary went. She's away again, to that wee island every night, huffed Maggie. Willie, look, will you just put my mind at rest and, and go over there and see what she's up to? I just want to know what our daughter is doing every night. That's not unreasonable, is it? And so, begrudgingly, Willie agreed to row to the island. But Mary had his boat. So he had to head down to his cousin Lachie's house to ask to borrow his. When he knocked on the door, it opened almost immediately, and there stood Lachie with a big grin on his face. To what do I owe this pleasure, dear cousin of mine? Look, I was wondering if I might borrow your boat. See, Mary has mine, and I, I just need to head out on the water for a wee thing. A wee thing, is it? It wouldn't happen to be about what Mary gets up to on that island, is it? I've helped the talk in the village, Willie, and trust me, you're better to let it lie and leave Mary alone out there. But Willie was having none of it, for he too, after all this time, was curious as to what Mary was doing on the island. And so he took Lachie's boat and rowed it across the waters. When he reached the shore, he pulled the boat up next to his own and he followed a well-worn path that Mary must have made through the heather. As he walked, he heard faint giggles of laughter coming from Mary and he thought that it must be a very amusing book that she was reading. But he followed the laughter and it led him up over a wee hillock and there, on the other side, on the beach below, was Mary. But Mary wasn't reading her book, and she wasn't alone. For there, next to Mary, lay a great, beautiful grey seal. The pair were rolling around in the sand and laughing as they played and wrestled. He'd never heard such joy come from his daughter, and it lifted his heart to hear. And while watching them play, Willie thought, Aye, well, this isn't so bad. She must have raised this seal since it was a pup, and she must love it very much. That's why she comes out here every day, to to make sure it's okay and play with it. And so Willie, content with his journey, rode back home. When he got home, he told Maggie of his daughter and the big grey seal and how joyous she was with her pet. But as he spoke, Maggie's face turned as white as the cresting waves. That's not just some pet seal, Willie. That's one of the silky folk. Oh, oh no, oh no. Mary's been enchanted. Our daughter is finished, ruined forevermore. My grandmother used to tell stories about folk being enchanted by the Selkies and taken away forevermore. She's all but gone, Willie. She's gone. Look, if you really want to protect our daughter and have her around for many more years to come, then you have to do something, Willie. You have to. Now, Willie was very taken aback by all of this. He defended Mary, saying it's just her pet. I can't be interfering with her pet. She loves it. Willie, I'm not joking here. If you love our daughter, then tomorrow morning you'll take your gun and you'll go to that island and you'll take care of that seal. That night Mary came home, kissed her mother and father on the cheek, had some supper and went off to bed. Willie lay awake all night, tossing and turning as if he were on a boat in the rough sea, wrestling with what to do. As the first rays of sunlight broke through the darkness, Willie got out of bed. He took his gun and he went out to his wee boat. He rowed across the still waters of the sea loch and pulled his boat into the small beach once more. He took the well-worn path through the heather and then walked up and over the knoll. There, on the beach below, lay the very large grey seal. He watched it basking in the early morning sun and a terrible feeling rose within him as he contemplated what he was about to do to this beautiful creature. But he thought of his Mary, of protecting her. He raised his gun, took aim and fired. The seal let out a terrified yelp as the bullet pierced its lovely skin, but it did not die and instead was able to make its way back to the dark waters and disappear beneath the surface. As soon as he lowered his gun, Willie felt the strangest most horrible feeling overcome him. It was as though he had just shot his own daughter. A deep, dark grief bubbled up inside him, and he almost collapsed for it. He was barely able to row back home he was so distraught at what he'd done, and when he did finally make it home... He could only nod when Maggie asked him if he'd been successful. He sat all day, smoking his pipe, but unable to eat or speak, stewing in his awful feelings. When Mary came home from school, she milked the cow, asked if there were any chores needing done around the house, and when her mother said no, she turned to her father and asked if she may take his boat out to the island for the evening. And removing his pipe, he whispered, Aye, of course, of course. You, you don't need to ask, and mind you home for tea. With this, Mary bounced out of the house and rowed over to the island. But Mary did not come home for tea. And as the sun was getting lower and lower in the sky, Maggie and Willie were getting more and more nervous. Eventually, Maggie sent Willie to go and check if the boat was docked, but it was not And so she sent him once more to get his cousin Lachie's boat to go to the island and see if Mary was on it. And so Willie, feeling just plain awful through and through, took his cousin's boat and rowed to the island. And there on the wee beach was his own boat. And he pulled up next to it and he followed the path over the knoll and he looked down on the beach below. But Mary was not there. All that was there was the bloodstains left from his terrible deed that morning. Willie called out, and he called out, and he searched the whole island three times through, but Mary was not there. Finally, overcome by the awful feeling of remorse, he sat and wept on the beach. And after a time, he looked up, out towards the sea. And through his tears he saw two majestic grey seals bobbing not twenty feet from him, looking straight at him. Their big, beautiful eyes seemed to see right into his torn heart. When he finally returned home, Maggie asked, Well, did you see Mary? I did not see Mary. Mary is gone, and will never see her again. But even in knowing this, the pair waited their entire lives but they never saw Mary again.
1: Wow, Jenny, that's a bit of a tearjerker, isn't it? It is. It's a really unusual Selkie story
0: and I think I only found one version of it um, which is quite cool as well. I'm sure there's others out there but it's definitely one of the lesser-known ones. It's called Mary and the Seal and I think I like it so much because it does sort of flip the whole idea of the fisherman stealing the Selkie's skin and keeping her captive, essentially. Instead, we have a human lady who's, we think, willingly fallen in love with a Selkie man, but he just lives in the sea and she goes to live with him. Somewhat forced by her own father, but I don't know. It's just a different dynamic than what we're used to.
1: I mean, it's a tragic tale, but maybe, maybe into big, beautiful seal love are better off being together in the sea. Sometimes I wonder if I would be happier as a seal. I think so.
0: (laughs) Depends on the sound quality of the recording for the podcast you can get down
1: there. (laughs) So before I tell a little story, let's hear from our sponsor for this episode.
0: Annie, of all the lovely listeners listening right now, How many, do you think, like learning about the language, heritage, archaeology, literature, landscape, identity, folklore and magic of Scotland's Highlands and
1: Islands? Every single one.
0: Well, do I have a course for all of you lovely listeners. Because the University of the Highlands and Islands Culture and Heritage BA Honours course is an interdisciplinary degree that explores all of these topics and more.
1: This degree is an incredible opportunity to gain a deep understanding of the rich heritage that has built this region. It's offered as an online course and internationally accredited. So no matter where you are in the world, near or far, land or sea, this course is a path to understanding the beating heart of the Highlands.
0: You can study full-time or part-time and as single or joint honours. Follow the link in the episode description to learn more. All right, Annie, here's hoping you have a happier tale than mine.
1: (laughs) My story takes place way up in the far north coast of Scotland, not too far a distance from John O'Groats. Here we have a man named Gordon, who lived with his wife and their young son. Gordon was a good husband and a great father. However, unfortunately, the way he supported his young family was by hunting seals it was the burden that he bore. Each day he would go down to the shore, which was not too far from his home, and he would sneak up behind the great creatures as they sunned themselves on the rocks and then strike them with his big hunting knife. Gordon would sell the seal skins for gold. Now, the most lucrative skins that he could sell for the highest price were those from the largest seals. There were people in his village who whispered that these bigger seals were not just regular sea creatures, but they were selkie folk, who could walk upon the land as humans, but they lived in a kingdom below the waves when they were seals. Gordon didn't pay any heed to these rumours, He dismissed these murmurs as foolish superstitions.
0: Listen to the rivers, Gordon. Listen to
1: the rivers! The talk made no difference to him as he worked. He'd still hunt the bigger seals because that's what got him his gold. One day, Gordon spotted a particularly giant and beautiful seal. And in that seal, he saw a future for his family, he thought. That is a great gorgeous, lovely skin and it'll get me so much gold. So Gordon stealthily snuck up behind this majestic creature and he raised his great hunting knife. In one well-practiced, swift movement he plunged it deep into the side of the seal. The seal gave an agonized bark. This arf of pain that came forth from the wounded seal resonated around the cliffs. (laughs) To Gordon's dismay, the seal had a surge of strength, and it slipped quickly from the rocks into the water, and he watched it swim away with but a trail of blood left behind. And he also saw his best knife, which was still embedded in the side of the seal, dragged down into the depths of the water with it. Now Gordon had neither the seal skin or the knife, and he was pure gutted he trudged back home, his spirits miserable and moody. That evening, as he grumbled about his misfortune to his wife, there came an unexpected knock at the door. Gordon opened the door to reveal standing there in the darkness an incredibly handsome man. Good sir, you are the finest seal hunter in all the realm.
0: My master a man of considerable wealth and status, finds himself in great and dire need of many sealskins. I should very much like to purchase any and all of your stock from you immediately.
1: Gordon was suddenly over the moon, so happy by how fast his fortunes could change. He felt a surge of joy, realising that this sale could make a great life for his family. But just a moment later... "'because fortunes are fickle and go with ebbs and flows.' "'Gordon's face fell as a mysterious man added, "'My master urgently requires these skins. Tonight.' "'Gordon's heart sank. "'He told the stranger that it was simply not possible. "'The seals would not be back on shore until the following day.
0: "'Ah, this is not a problem, good hunter.' I can take you to a place where there are many seals. Come, I shall take us there this instant.
1: The stranger smiled, casting off Gordon's concern like an old cloak. Drawn by the promise of great seal skins and the gold that they would bring, Gordon hoisted himself up behind the stranger onto this man's huge horse, and together they galloped off into the night. The man effortlessly guided his horse along paths Garden had never travelled before. The stranger barely seemed to even need to twitch the reins or giddy the horse. They just rode into the night as if they were summoned by the moon herself, with both the horse and the stranger seeming to know some forbidden secret that Garden was not in on. The longer they rode, the more nervous this made Gordon feel. He wondered just where was this man taking him. Gordon felt his heartbeat begin to thud, speeding up with the rhythmic gallop of the horse. Eventually, they reached a path that ran along the top of a steep cliff. Gordon could hear the sea roaring on one side. Here, upon this cliff, Gordon's nervousness turned to a terror. ...because the man was riding like the wind along this steep precipice. Gordon shouted and yelled for the stranger to slow down to let him off the horse... ...but they were in such a fast speed and the man just ignored him. Gordon felt pure fear the moment he realised they were charging directly for the edge of the cliff. He cried out, but his pleas were lost through the sea and the wind it was too late. With a surge of power, the horse jumped off the edge of the cliff. Down and down and down they fell, plummeting through the darkness towards the crashing waves below. Gordon braced himself for sure death, but as he plunged into the freezing waters, he found that he was quite all right. In fact, he was better than all right. He felt quite comfortable in the sea, despite the crashing waves and the storm. His heart had now re to the power of the waves, the ebb and the flow. His body was large and buoyant and strong in the sea. And then something tugged his arm, and he looked to see what it was, and realized that it was not his arm that was being tugged, but rather his flipper. He examined his new body with great alarm and realized he had been transformed into a seal. What was this dark magic? Gordon looked to the creature tugging his flipper to see it was another seal that somehow he immediately recognized to be the mysterious stranger. The seal gestured, welcoming him to follow. And so, at a complete loss, Gordon did just this. And they swam together, below the cliff faces, until his new strange seal friend slipped through a huge crack in the rocks. As Garden followed, he was astonished to see the inside of a cave was a gigantic hall. The walls were formed of glittering mother-of-pearl, and the floor was polished marbles. Within the hall, many seals were swimming and resting and none of them so much as looked at garden. There was a strange ambience, a strange feeling of this place, because it was so beautiful a cavern, and yet all of the seals were mournful and sad. They moved very gently and slowly, talking quietly to each other in hushed voices. Some lay on the floor, wiping large salty tears from their eyes. Gordon's new seal guide led him to the door of his chamber and left him waiting outside. When the guide reappeared, he held up a great big hunting knife and showed it to Gordon. Have you ever seen this before? Gordon's heart stopped. He gulped. Of course he recognized this knife. It was his own. It was the one he had lost that morning. Oh, cursed seagulls! These seals were going to exact their watery revenge on him for his evil deeds against their kind. Well, Goyton thought, so be it. I have committed too many horrors upon these seals. So he accepted his fate, and though he trembled, he nodded his head and told the seal, that is my knife.
0: Fear not, seal hunter, for we do not wish to cause you harm. We have brought you here to help us. The seal that you struck and almost killed this morning is my father and our king. He is gravely wounded, and you are the only one who can heal him.
1: Gordon knew not how he could help, but he agreed and promised he would do all in his power to heal the seal that he had injured, and he begged the sea prince to explain what was needed of him. The seal prince led Gordon to the chamber, and there on a bed of emerald seaweed lay the great seal Gordon had attacked that morning. In the side of the seal king was a deep and angry raw wound. Gordon saw in this wound the consequences of his violence, and he felt a deep shame in himself. Upon laying his eyes on the gash, Gordon panicked, He had no healing power, he would not be able to save this creature from the wound he had so cruelly inflicted. The Seal King's life hung like a tender strand of seaweed on a wave, and Gordon felt absolutely useless. Unsure what to do, he approached the Sea King, and gently he laid his flippers over the wound. Gordon despaired. He made a silent promise to himself, that he would never hurt a creature in this way again. This awoke a kind of ancient magic that recognizes that sometimes the only people that can heal a wound are those that caused it, but that also tells us that people sometimes deserve a second chance. To Gordon's astonishment, the wound began knitting back together, and within a minute it was completely healed over, and the king was awake. Not just awake, but he was bright and strong as any seal could be. Suddenly, across the cavern, all the seals burst out in happy jubilation. The king was saved. The seal prince thanked Garden and said,
0: A hundred thousand thank yous. We will return you to your home upon the land. But you must promise us that you will never again
1: attack a seal, be it a simple sea type or a silky like us. Gordon happily agreed to this for despite not having his profession anymore after meeting these wonderful creatures in their kingdom it had forever changed his outlook on the world the seal prince once again guided Gordon, this time to the surface of the water and they returned in human forms and they mounted the strangely dry horse once more together they galloped back to Gordon's house. And then he dismounted the horse and said his farewells to the prince. The seal prince smiled at Gordon and handed him a heavy bag. He gave him the bag as a thank you for the promise that Gordon had made not to hurt his kind. Gordon went into his home and he embraced his wife then they opened the bag, and inside it was more gold than Garden could ever have made from his seal-hunting ways. And so both the people of the land and the selkies of the sea had a happy ending. The end. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> it was happier than mine, yay! <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't hard, Jenny. <laughs> I really love this story. I think it gives us some important lessons about trying to understand the ways that we use and exploit nature. And it also kind of digs into the real meanings of our actions, showing us that sometimes consequences are going to jump up on us and turn us into seals if we are not careful.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to our We show. If you've been enjoying it, then please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling extra generous, then you can join up to our Patreon, where for the price of a box of Tonic's tea cakes a month, you can help support us as we make this show. As well as gaining access to lots more Scottish content.
1: Yay! Yay! <laughs> Until next time, you wonderful folk, Slanjeva.
0: Slanjeva.
1: And you wonderful Selkies. Slanger Arf. (laughs) Slanger Arf. Arf, 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 arf. arf. Slanger Arf, arf, arf.